escuchando. Hello everyone and welcome to A Better Way. I am your host Craig Booker. In today's episode, I'll talk about my story, what got me here. To start us off, I'd like to play a clip from my upcoming audiobook. Reflecting on my past, I gently remind myself that it hasn't always been this way. I remember a time in my life when my thoughts were a much safer place to visit. A space where things weren't overshadowed by what might happen. Chronic Fear and Anxiety Chronic fear and anxiety surfaced in my late 20s. Before that, I had what I believed to be a healthy relationship with fear. I knew these emotions, but they never stuck around for long. I may experience anxiety before a big test or meeting, which I consider the typical stuff. Telling my story. Up until my late 20s, mental illness was something that happened to others, but not to me. I hope to give you the details that led me to where I am today. Of course, other events, circumstances, and trauma contribute to my story, but I will begin here for simplicity. Career It was 2001 and I was newly married, working full-time as a web developer for a local startup. Keep in mind that the term web developer did not exist then, and everything I worked on seemed to be breaking new ground. A few years prior, I started working for a small local company with 10 employees max. I started part-time, but jumped on the opportunity to go full-time when an opening presented itself. This job was what I affectionately refer to as my first real job. Cultural and company context. In my mind, I was getting paid good money to play. I mean, work on the computer. It was early 2001, and the financial markets were in poor shape. As a small startup, we succeeded in going public. We were low on money and needed funding to continue growing the business. In retrospect, our financial situation was worse than it appeared. It wasn't long before the executive team announced that another company from Sunnyvale, California had acquired our small little startup. Here I was, figuring out who I was and struggling with the typical challenges of startup life. A new opportunity arose to train and certify two other groups of developers for developing our core product. The opportunity sounded exciting, so I took the role and became part of the training department in California. Little did I know that this change would later make me vulnerable. More economic changes. Shortly after 9-11, the financial markets were rough and one of our largest customers acquired our company. It was strange, and the process was more involved than I let on, so I will save you the details. I was about a year away from finishing my bachelor's degree in business management. I was working full-time, and my wife, Christy, was about to start full-time as a nurse after finishing school. I had taken the semester off to adjust to working full-time. All in all, things were going well. Times are a-changin'. It was about this time that things at work started to get weird. I was now part of the training department. My former managers were no longer my boss, and we were now all part of a large company. Our fearless CEO was now managing what used to be his company. 
a different environment. Corporate America was unsettling for our former CEO. He did not fit into the bureaucracy of corporate life. His team still had jobs, but his hands were essentially tied. I deeply admire and respect him for doing what was best for the team, but it crushed me to see him like this. Warning! One day I received an email from one of my former managers who worked out of the Oklahoma City office. My former manager was warning me of things he had heard. The company was in poor financial shape and laid off workers it considered non-essential to business. Since I was part of training, I was now considered an expendable employee. It was all an absolute blur, but at the end of the day, I found myself without a job. My new vulnerability. Post 9-11, the job market was in the worst shape I had ever seen. I was unemployed and unable to find work. I'll save you the unemployment stories for now, but I found myself at a complete loss. Jobs as a web developer were almost non-existent in Oklahoma City, leaving me wondering what to do with my career. Unemployment. Here I was, trying to figure out how to provide for my family. I was still somewhat new to a two-income household. Christy, my wife, had been employed full-time for just a short period. Short enough that it hardly registered in my memory. I would receive unemployment benefits, but how long would that last? Considering my options. After reviewing my options with Christy, we decided I should work towards completing my bachelor's degree as I was looking for work. Schoolwork would occupy my time as I was applying for various positions. I would call the unemployment office weekly to report on what seemed to be an endless job search. Eventually, the unemployment office thought I could use some help, so I was required to attend an all-day seminar at the local unemployment office. My new realization. My employment search led me to feel depressed and hopeless about my future. My education was progressing, but I needed the courses to move much faster. As a part of my coursework, I began an internship that led me to work at an employment agency. While there, I learned my business degree was way too general to lead anywhere on its own. It certainly would not lead me to a job, which left me with a sense of hopelessness. My internship was coming to an end and graduation was only a few months away. I was still unemployed and lacking hope when my internship ended. I got a call from the employment agency about an opportunity in the HR department at a local call center. The role would have me screening call center employees for a national cellular provider. Excited about any work, I took it. Outsourced. The call center was one of the most sterile corporate environments I can remember. I was close to completing a year-long assignment and eagerly waiting for a permanent offer from the call center. I had formed several great friendships and was beginning to feel like part of the team when I got the news. They would not be making me an offer or renewing my contract. They were outsourcing the role to another agency. Shortly after being let go, the employment agency called me, wanting me to return to their office. They reasoned that if they could get to know me better, they could find me a job. After the usual employment testing, they didn't have anything that fit my skill set, 
Instead, they offered me a temporary position in their office. Empty Promises I worked at the agency recruiting for another cellular call center. My colleagues and I were consistently beating our goals. I was good at sourcing candidates, but my boss repeatedly misled me about permanent employment. Lots of empty promises led me to give my notice. It was time to move on. A leap of faith. It felt good to stand up for myself. I was severely frustrated with looking for work. I was not interested in hanging on with little hope for permanent employment. So with the support of my wife, I left in search of something better. Putting in my notice without any opportunities in mind took a giant leap of faith, but I took it. A new opportunity. I received a few calls from the employment agency about possible opportunities over the next several months. I received one which sounded promising. I went on an interview and they offered me the position. I would be interviewing candidates for the warehouse and performing other human resource tasks as assigned. All in all, I felt hopeful. A good fit. My time in human resources at the warehouse proved to be a good fit. My boss was kind and the people were friendly. Finally, I found solid work. Everything was great except the actual work. Not as advertised. It soon became clear that the job described in my interview was different from what was advertised. I was devastated. There was very little recruiting and lots of repetitive data entry. Over and over, I thought to myself, what do I do? Trapped. I have to keep this job. It was not a good fit, but what else could I do? Over time, I found it increasingly more difficult to go to work. I began catching myself staring off into space. My boss saw this and asked if I was all right. I was desperately trying to escape. All the signs were right there, but I failed to heed their warning. I kept trying to power through. I didn't want to share my struggle with my wife. She was so happy that I had finally found a good job. Things were stable, and the last thing I wanted to do was to ruin her happiness. I thought I could make this job work. The countdown begins. I found myself counting the minutes. In the morning, I would count how long until I could leave to go to lunch. After lunch, I would count the hours until it was time to leave. On the days I could not go out to lunch with others, I would stay at the office and try to escape somehow. A turn for the worse. It became more of a challenge to go to work. I would sit outside the office in my car each morning, praying for a miracle. One morning, my phone rang. I answered to hear my boss on the other end of the line. I could hear the care in her voice as she began asking questions. She was incredibly concerned as she observed my struggle to come into the office. The parking lot was in direct view of her office window. Unbeknownst to me, my boss had watched as I parked my car and sat there and talked until time was up. To say I was struggling would be an understatement. Unable to escape. One day I was supposed to go to lunch with my mom when it happened. My lunch plans fell through, and I found myself without my usual escape. I went to a nearby fast food restaurant across the street and tried to get away. Instead of taking my mind off my situation, I found it incredibly hard to eat my sandwich. I found myself 
unable to eat. I remember reaching out to someone for help, but I'm unsure who it was. I took my time getting back to the office. I went directly into a private office to work and close the door. Pause for context. At this point in my life, I had little known history of fear or anxiety. Other than my search for work after being laid off in 2001, my experience with fear was what I consider normal. I have no recollection of fear interfering with my daily activities. After lunch, I returned to a private part of the office close to my desk. It was afternoon and I was trying to power my way through the rest of the day. I convinced myself that if I could make it through the end of the day, things would be fine. Afternoon momentum. A strange feeling swept over me as I was starting to build up some momentum. I started asking myself more questions. Could I push my way through? Could I move forward? A distant thought started to peek ever closer at me. I do not remember calling out to God, but I know he was there. It is funny how you know someone is there, but you cannot remember the details of how or when they came in. I know God was there, but I was too deep inside my head to recognize him. A part of me was basking in the hopelessness of my recent job search. I finally found an excellent company to work for with kind people and a reasonable pay rate. I was so close. Why couldn't I just put up with the work? Looking back now, I wonder if I could have negotiated different job terms. I did not want to give up on it at all. But the thought of going to work was eating at my soul. Flashbacks to a painful, empty search. I had desperately been longing for someone to say yes. I needed someone to recognize my value and hire me. Countless times, I remember being beaten down by job advertisements that seemed so promising. I would prepare my application and resume, hit submit, and never hear a word from the company. I would contact the company only to find out they would not answer questions about posted positions. How weird. Certainly someone knew something, but I needed help finding the answers to my questions. The job posting would soon disappear. I remembered going into office after office, job after potential job. I would apply for positions, interview, and hear nothing in return. It was as though the people who posted these jobs did not exist. It was a very bizarre dynamic. Back to the office. This feeling, blurry at first, slowly started to become more apparent. Strangely, I do not remember thinking about it out loud at lunch. But I had felt it before. As I tried to fight it off, the thought returned to me. I could not do this anymore. I could not, but I needed to. I had to keep it together. This overwhelming sense of obligation burdened me like never before. Part of me said, hold on, you got this. Part of me said, wait, are you kidding me? And then, somewhere in between, something happened. All I remember from this point forward is talking to my boss. The details of how I made it to her office are unclear. I remember breaking down in her office. I lost it. All of my composure was gone. I knew I could not fake it anymore. There would be no more powering through, no self-imposed pep talks to be strong. I don't know how much time had passed, but 
that didn't matter. My manager called my wife and tried her best to explain what had happened. I remember being present but feeling completely awkward. My manager was incredibly kind, focusing on my well-being. Surprisingly, I remember zero discussion about what we would do about work. Enlisting professional help. I remember being in a doctor's office, explaining to the doctor what had just happened and how I felt. The doctor struggled to speak or understand English, which should have been a sign. At this point, I was too far off the tracks to question others. I just needed help. I went home and returned to the doctor many times. Each time, it became clear the doctor did not understand my struggle. With each appointment, I had a new set of side effects. It was not getting any better. I'm curious to know how much time had passed. Christy had been in contact with my boss, and she recommended a specific outpatient clinic. I went there to fill out paperwork and see what it was like. Things were not getting better, and I was desperate for something to work. At this point, I did not feel safe driving, so my mom took me. Group therapy. I remember being part of a group therapy session where we would share something about our lives. Everyone seemed to have a different condition, which was very overwhelming. Hearing the problems of others only seemed to compound my anxiety. My fear grows. The fear was eating me alive. I remember pounding. My heart was pounding, and fear overtook my ability to reason. Somewhere, I began doing all sorts of weird things to cope with anxiety. I started making strange sounds with my mouth to cope with the anxiety. I had a new set of habits. Habits I was not fond of but could not stop doing. I distinctly remember being unable to calm down when I left the day clinic. My world was spinning out of control, and there was little anyone, doctor or otherwise, could do about it. Psychologists I remember countless trips to a psychologist that proved unfruitful and extremely expensive. I found it eerie how little the Christian psychologist spoke about God in these conversations. I felt more like a project to be studied than someone he wanted to help. Looking back at my sessions with the psychologist, I wonder about the God we discussed. We talked about God, but it was not the God I knew. There was never any mention of reaching out to God for help. I was never encouraged to pray or read the Bible, even though the, psycho even though the psychologist knew I was a Christian. Rocking I remember waking each morning in my bed, hoping and praying this was all a bad dream. I would violently rock back and forth in my bed, unable to stop this rocking sensation. I felt it on the inside and out. It would not stop! I went outside to take a walk, which only added to my anxiety. Nothing helped stop the rocking. I tried breathing exercises, but these seemed to frustrate me with little results. My fear had taken over even the depths of my psyche. Endless checks. I had lost hope that the doctor was going to be able to do anything for me. Each day I would crawl out of bed only to watch my wife leave for the day. Separation anxiety would dominate my mind as she was getting ready for work. My OCD was at an all-time high, and I would check everything you can imagine. 
the new habits I spoke of began to pile up, and we were ready to seek further help. A new hope. Someone suggested I see another doctor about my meds. I distinctly remember traveling across town with Christy to see this new doctor. On the first visit with the doctor, my symptoms seemed to terrify her. Was I really in that bad of shape? Was it my coping habits? C-3PO I was very robotic in many ways. I walked stiff, rigid, and less like a human than I can ever remember. It was these robot-like behaviors that alarmed the doctor. These behaviors were known side effects of the medication I was on. After telling my story, the doctor gave us the lowdown on my current state. Our plan of attack. Our first course of action was to get me off of the medication my previous doctor put me on. Hopefully, as I weaned off the medication, my robot-like symptoms would subside. It would be a process, but in time, I would be able to start some different meds. These new meds were the gold standard when treating OCD, anxiety, and depression. The gold standard. I remember hearing this phrase and thinking, why did the last doctor not know about this gold standard? Did he miss that day of medical school? The new doctor gave me a sense of hope, which was something both Christy and I desperately needed. Praise God. Let us go back to when I was rocking restlessly in my bed. There was this ever-present need to rock back and forth. I needed to rock like I needed oxygen. When nothing seemed to stop the rocking, I started to pray. It began with the little things. God help me sleep. The only time I was not rocking or anxious was when I was sleeping. This made me want to sleep all the time. Not being able to be in a state of rest is torture. My level of fear was at an all-time high. I found it difficult to go outside. Even going into the front yard was too much. This made things difficult as I was typically the person in our household who mowed the lawn. My doctor suggested I try to take a walk around the block in one of our sessions, so this became a goal of mine. There were many visits back and forth to the doctor, but the weird side effects decreased for the first time. Slowly, the rigid movement I had become accustomed to started to subside. Finally, something seemed to go right. I was not out of the woods yet, but even the slightest glimmer of hope was just the miracle we needed. Getting back on my feet. So praying helped to ease my rocking. Praise God. But now what do I do? How do I get back on my feet? What does it look like when I get there? Before this point, it took all of me to make it through the day. I was not used to thinking about anything else. The highlight of my week was making it to church each Saturday. What can I expect? My wife, Christy, and my mom continued looking after me, ensuring I took my meds and tried their best to understand. I was making it out of the house, taking walks around the block, but what else should or could I do at this point? What hope did I have of leaving a normal life? Do people recover from anxiety and OCD? I had many questions, and different people had different answers. Some people would not answer my questions, no matter how basic. Some people told me I needed to accept my condition and adjust accordingly. 
adjust accordingly. I tried my best to figure out what this meant for me personally. I tried my hand at real estate, thinking I could set my schedule and make a decent living. It was something I thought I would enjoy, and I did. But 2007 to 2008 was not the time to break into life as a realtor. It was one of the worst financial markets of our time. After one year as a realtor, I broke even financially and decided to look elsewhere for a career. But where? Browsing the ads. I was browsing job postings hoping to find something when I stumbled upon an ad to work for Apple retail stores. On a whim, I applied and soon forgot about it. Later in the year, I received a call from Apple about the position I had applied for months ago. I was eager for any opportunity, so I went on three to four interviews before landing a job with Apple. I was new to Apple products, only having a MacBook Pro for six months before working there. Training delay. My training class was delayed several times. I would get excited and then wonder if this would ever happen. My training class finally started around the first of the new year. We began training in the mall's basement. I never knew this mall even had a basement. The trainers were oddly excited about Apple culture and what it meant to work for Apple retail. I spent a couple of weeks in training, which did not involve being in the retail store. What type of retail job was this? I was no stranger to working in retail. What company in the right mind invests this much in their employees? My time at Apple was more than merely a job. It allowed me to forget about the whole concept of a job. I had the unique privilege of helping people each day. It was a job in that I was obliged to show up when I was scheduled to work. I got paid, which checked off another box. I received a lunch break each day, which I would spend escaping a bit from the busyness of the store. The escape was different at Apple, though. It was merely time to rest, eat, etc. It was not time spent avoiding the work I was doing or needed to be doing. I valued my breaks, but my job was not detestable either. I enjoyed it, plain and simple. Low anxiety. In my time working at Apple, I do not recall having issues with my anxiety. I remember hustling to get to work, ready to leave at the end of the day, but nothing I could not handle. I believe this was a time when God smiled at me. It was not perfect by any means. I had frustrations with my job and other people, but for a brief time, I did not need to look or think of looking for work. The pay could have been better, but it was not the lowest in my lifetime either. My benefits were solid, rock solid. I loved my time at Apple. I knew it would not last forever, but my feet seemed to be on solid ground for once. Why end here? Why end this chapter here? While this definitely is not the end of my story or the end of my journey with anxiety or fear, this is the first time that I felt like my feet were on solid ground. It was the first time that things seemed to shift. It was the first time that things seemed to look up. I could hold a job and not experience nonstop anxiety. I did not dread my job. In fact, I love my job. I'll leave the rest of my story for another time. That's going to be it for this episode. Again, thank you for 
listening. Thank you for uh, downloading this podcast. I hope that you will hit subscribe so that you'll get notified of future episodes. If you would like to be kept up to date on things with this podcast or uh, things that I'm writing for my book, you can go to my website at craigbooker.com. Again, that's craigbooker.com.